1: Welcome, everybody, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Always glad when you join us here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Alan Dempsey is our engineer. He gets us on the air every weekend. Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And Dave Beckwith is with us in this first segment. He's in Irvine, California. U.S. Western Regional Director for Standing Stone Ministry. (laughs) And Dave, we want to talk about your book, I Love the World, it is called It's People I Can't Stand.
2: Welcome, Dave. (laughs) How how are you doing? I'm doing well. I usually get quite a chuckle whenever the title of the book is read. And, uh, uh, that's kind of how I write. I love humor and good stories, and I fill the book with these uh, wrapped around some some good uh, biblical teaching. So, uh, uh, yeah, doing well. And uh, you know, I think the reality is is, is we all have somebody who gets under our skin, a crazy maker who drives us batty or fear in our heart, and uh, so that's why we quickly identify with the title. Dave, you opened the book with
1: uh, a chapter simply called Chapter Zero, Everyone Loves a Good Story. Uh, What are you telling us there?
2: Yeah, I'm telling you uh, about—I use the backdrop of Jonah uh, for the story, Mm -hmm. really. um, His story, my story, and everybody's story, how God leads us through times of brokenness, but— uh, in, uh, in the chapter zero, uh, I'm talking about Jonah. What a fascinating character he is. Uh, different than all the other prophets. And, uh, he was, uh, he's a rebel. He's hard headed. He's stubborn. And most prophets ran to God. Jonah ran from God. And, uh, most prophets proclaimed their message. Jonah proclaimed his woes. So, uh, he he was a different kind of a person, and yet God used him. That's an, that is the absolutely amazing thing, that God would use somebody as stubborn and difficult as Jonah was, and which gives us all hope. Uh, God can use us, uh, uh, regardless of uh, what our, our problems are.
1: Dave, then you start into the meat of the book. Your first chapter is called Breaking the Grip of Fear. Uh, fill us in on that.
2: Yeah, the uh, the grip of fear, uh, of course, uh, Jonah was wrong to disobey God. No question about that. But when we, when we look at it, we understand some of the reasons uh, behind that. Uh, I think there's two things about Jonah. I think, one, he was prejudiced, severely prejudiced against the Ninevites. And I, it kind of makes me wonder, had he had something severe happen, maybe to somebody in his family from the Ninevites? What, uh, whatever, he had this uh, deeply embedded uh, prejudice. Uh, the other was a paranoia. The terrorists of today have absolutely nothing over on the Um uh, They skinned people alive They put out... Uh, cut off hands, they put out eyes. Mm. Um, So I can imagine Jonah thinking, you you want me to go uh, preach to these terrorists? And so we understand something of his fear and why he ran the other way.
1: Now uh, we move to the next topic. This is your wake-up call. This is the second chapter.
2: Yes, you have Jonah... um, Uh, of course, boarded a ship, which was totally idiotic. What He wanted to just refuse to go, why didn't he just stay home? Uh, Instead, he sets sets, uh, sail for uh, um, what we know of as modern-day Spain. And uh, then, of course, God cast this enormous storm uh, on the sea, and uh, the... uh, uh, the description of that makes me wonder if it was not a hurricane-category storm, uh, maybe even a 3, 4, or 5-category hurricane because of the way that it was affecting and the way God, the way God described it. Whatever, somehow Jonas, Jonas sat asleep in the, in, the, in the bottom of the ship there. Um, I think either God put him to sleep supernaturally or maybe he drunk himself into a stupor. I I really don't know. The the Bible doesn't tell us that. But, uh, and so finally the the people on the ship wake him up, and uh, it's a wake up call for Jonah. They discover he's running from the living God. And uh, Jonah actually requests an assisted suicide. Um, As a Hebrew, he he would have had strong convictions against committing suicide. But instead, he uh, asked them to throw him overboard. Now, Jonah had no thought, uncertain certain, of being rescued, being swallowed by a fish, anything that was going to happen. Uh, in his mind, it was over. Uh, and so he requested they would throw him overboard. And that's where the story picks up from there.
1: Now we're ready to move. Uh, Dave Beckwith is our guest. Uh, let's move to the next topic. Chapter 3, A Whale of a Tail, question mark. Tell us, yeah. about, tell us about that.
2: I, I take a little detour here, just to a certain degree, and entertained a very interesting thought of what kind of a fish uh, or whale could have possibly swallowed Jonah. And the, uh, the, the text, both in the New Testament, when Jesus mentions it, and the Old Testament would allow for either a a whale, a, a blue whale, or a species of whale, or uh, a large fish. And of course, God could have created a special fish just for the occasion, too. But I think two uh, very intriguing possibilities are the, the gigantic blue whale. Um, and the blue whale is... Uh, uh, the largest largest creature uh that we've ever had on earth, and um, that certainly could have been the uh <clears throat> size of the blue whale make that possible. I was very interested i right, go into detail on this of the possibility of the Goliath grouper fish mm. and the um, I have uh, the research of the Jacques um uh, research group, and they they approached this subject a few years back, um, accepted it as a credible account, and they came to the conclusion that it very well could have been uh, a, a Goliath grouper fish. So, um, you know, it, we won't know until we're in heaven someday and we get the full story what it, what it was, but those are two very intriguing possibilities.
1: Now, I want you to tell us the next topic. Check it into rehab. You call it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, when Jonah is swallowed by this fish, this is his rehab center, and oh. the I think I think Jonah starts praying. Immediately. I don't think he waits three days thinking things over. I think he's praying as he's sliding down the esophagus of the fish. And uh, the the reality is, we all need rehab in one way or another. Now, that may not be in a rehabilitation center, uh, but there's all of us have areas in our life where we need. Uh, need rehab. That's the business that God is in in refining our life. Um, I grew up in a very angry, dysfunctional home. Um, I came into uh, marriage with uh, um, all of my issues and anger and depression. And my wife grew up in a very healthy home. And uh, so, but she realized I, I knew I needed rehab, and God worked an amazing process in my life changing me. Uh, but she realized it as well, because not she never used any addictive uh, substance or anything like that. Um, but she realized that she learned, had to learn to release control and surrender things to God.
1: My guest is Dr. Dave Beckwith. We're talking about his book, I Love the World. we got to take a break here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, we'll be right back. Dr. Dave Beckwith is with us, uh, former lead pastor at Woodbridge Church in Irvine, California. Uh, his new book is out, uh, I Love the World. Uh, Dave, we're ready to talk about your fifth topic. It's simply called The Great Awakening. Uh, what's going on at this point?
2: Okay, uh, let me backdrop, uh, Pat, if I could, just sure. on our last topic, uh, an important story to share in there. Uh, when I went into the ministry, and I'm talking back on the, the topic of checking into rehab, but when I went into the ministry, I, I wanted to work with successful people. I uh, wasn't very interested in helping the hurting and the broken, and God had to work a process in my life, and this is so much of part of the book, God had to work a process in my life of breaking me and my stubbornness and my uh, self-centeredness. And uh, back in 1982, I went up to speak at a camp in Northern California and took a walk that that night after the opening session, probably a half mile from the camp. And I flipped my flashlight off. I was looking up at the stars and uh, took a couple of steps. And the next thing you know, I was airborne, falling into a canyon 40 feet below. Mm. And I came crashing in on... (laughs) I felt the shockwaves go up my back. I knew my back was broken, mm. uh, broken in three places, and broke a left shoulder. And here I am um, in the bottom of a canyon um, with my preacher's voice. I'm too far from camp for anybody to hear me. Uh, cell phones weren't in common use in those days. Uh, further, I was the speaker for the camp, so they had me in a cabin all by myself. Nobody would even know I was missing. Wow. So, so here I am in a canyon, dark canyon, and God did some work in my life um, in that time, much as he did with Jonah. And so I, I was there in excruciating pain, and I would try to get back up on my, feet and I'd fall back to the ground. I didn't know what I was going to do. And so finally I I kept trying to get up, praying a lot, finally got up on my feet, hunched over, excruciating pain with a broken back. And my only hunch was that if I hobbled down that creek bed, perhaps that that cliff will will descent. So I started out just hobbling down there, probably went about three hours. Uh, how I ever had the, the strength to be able to do that, I don't know. I so finally came to the point where the cliff was about the height of a table, and I rolled up on it, and then went through the process again of getting getting back up, hobbled back then towards the camp. Finally got in at about. Um, Oh, probably one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. And a couple saw me and knew that I was injured and took me into the hospital. So I had I had six weeks after that laying flat, and that that was my uh, uh, a breaking time that God used in my life, and to develop a new love and a new compassion in me for the people that I can't stand. Mm. So. That's a little detour, so we can go on to the next chapter now.
1: Well, uh, we're now at topic six, uh, Dave. This makes me—it's called, This Makes Me So Mad. (laughs) What's that about? What's that about?
2: Yeah. Um, You know, Jonah didn't get all straightened out just from that one experience, and neither did I, and neither did most people. Uh, God's in process. And so when we come to Jonah chapter four, we find Jonah just burned up with anger, and uh, I go into four unique uh, types of anger, and understanding those is really com- crucial. You know, I grew up in a home with um, uh, a very angry home. Mm. It started every day with somebody blowing their top about something and banging doors and and yelling and. That, that's the environment I grew up in. I knew I knew how to be angry. Uh, when I got married, I said, no, my home's not going to be like that. So I went to the other extreme, and I would stuff my anger inside. Well, whenever you do that, that just results in depression. So anger and depression have been camping out together for a long time. And so I learned, I feel like I'm kind of an expert on the two wrong ways to handle anger, because I've certainly done both of them. And what I teach in here uh, is how to handle anger. Anger in itself is not sin, but how to do a controlled release of anger. That's the key. And I've been such a much healthier person learning to do a controlled release of anger. So learning to uh, slow the anger down, taking responsibility for it, and I go through seven crucial steps to be able to learn to do a controlled release of anger.
1: Dave, I want you to uh, fill us in now on uh, Chapter 7. It's called What Matters Most. Uh, What do you include here?
2: Well, when we step away and we look at life and ask ourselves what really matters most, you know, I'm convinced, that, I mean, it doesn't matter how big a house you live in or how nice a car you drive or how many awards and plaques are on your wall, uh, how much applause you've received. I mean, all those things are nice and, and good uh, to a degree. But what really matters, bottom line, is love. And I, I honestly believe if you live a life of loving God and people, you are a success. In God's eyes, um, and probably in the eyes of other people as well. So that's what really matters. That's that's the bottom line. And uh, you know, people might describe you as a good speaker, great musician, uh, uh, a great coach, uh, awesome cook, whatever. Nice, heartwarming of affirmations. But I think the ultimate compliment a person can receive is he or she is one of the most loving people I have ever met. Now, that's the story that I include in this book, how God works a process in my life and works a process in your life to bring you to the point of being one of the most loving people uh, in your sphere of influence. So, take away from the book, I say love God, love people, love love people the way God loves people. What we need today is um, I love the world and the people I can't stand. And this is the process of preparing ourselves for that.
1: Dave, at the end of the book, there's an appendix, and it's simply called Three Simple Steps to New Life. Uh, Can you tell us about that?
2: Yes. This is so important. And I, I include this in all of my writing. I share with people this might be the most uh, wonderful moment in your life if you're ready to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And there are three simple ways. I, I call them the ABCs backwards. And the C is confess your sin. Um, we've all sinned. Boy, it didn't take me long to figure that one out. Um, We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. The B is believe. Believe in Jesus Christ, God, who came to earth to love us, and he showed how much he loved us by dying on the cross. And then he rose again. So believe in him, and the A is stands for accepting into your life. Uh, invite him to come into your life by personal faith. And so the steps are so simple uh, and yet so important because they change everything in your life.
1: My guest is Dr. David Beckwith, U.S. Regional Western Regional Director for Standing Stone Ministry. Dave, what is Standing Stone Ministry? Can you tell us about that?
2: Yes, Standing Stone Ministry. We care for pastors and wives, uh, sometimes missionaries, uh, other Christian workers. Um, we, um, we care for them. We don't charge a dime for our services. Uh, I've got two pastors I'm meeting with later today, um, both of them going through a crisis. And it's just my joy to come. We don't ask anything from them. Uh, we come alongside them. So this is uh, developing all over the country right now. And in fact, we're in, I think, 31 or 32 countries now where we're caring for pastors and missionaries. And I'm I'm raising a team of people. I have 60-plus missionaries in the western region uh, that are doing this work. So I coordinate their work as well. So that's Standing Stone Ministry. And we're glad to reach out and help. Most of us know of a pastor or missionary that's gone through a hard time. Satan loves to attack the the workers of God.
1: Uh, Dave, I want to, um, as we come to the end here, I want want you to talk about a couple of things about your book. What is spiritual rehab, and why is brokenness a good thing? And then what is the connection between brokenness and
2: humility? Hmm. Yeah, those are good, good summation topics. So, uh, the brokenness and and spiritual rehab is a process that God will take us through to see the self-centered part of us. Well, God comes to live in in us by personal faith uh, for the person who prays that prayer uh, using the the ABCs as I just mentioned. God comes to live in your life. You accept him by personal faith. But our own hardness and stubbornness doesn't necessarily get quickly changed. So God is in the process of uh, of working through and bringing about brokenness. Without brokenness, it's easy to drift along. Uh, Self-sufficient, seemingly strong rather judgmental and self-righteous, probably demanding of others and blaming them, expecting to be served rather than serving, unmoved by the pain of others, and generally an all-around nuisance to live with. And that can describe too many of us. But with crushing and breaking, you become keenly aware of your weaknesses. You learn to value others over yourself. You learn to yield rights. I see it as a process where God um, causes it to, to begin to, to relate to others with graciousness and, and humility. And that's where humility comes from, as a process of brokenness that God leads us through.
1: Dave, a big, big message in your book is that crisis often leads to change. Uh, can you explain how that works?
2: Yes, Um, and you're right when you say crisis often leads to a change. Not always. Mm -hmm. Some people people live their entire life in a crisis, and they never learn anything from it. Mm -hmm. But when we go through a crisis time, that can be a moment when God uses it to to get our attention, uh, to change us. And so crisis can be a good thing. Um, I've certainly been through a number of them uh, in my life, and so prices can be a good thing, yes.
1: Dave Beckwith is our guest. Dave, um, what do you want readers and listeners uh, to take from your book and our discussion?
2: Well, I'd love them to be able to take the book, enjoy reading the, the humor and the stories and Um, But most of all, be able to connect in their own life and say, where's God at in the process of shaping me to become a more loving person? And how does he want me, how does he want to use me to love some people that are, quite frankly, very unlovable and maybe even difficult in your life? God wants to do that through you because his love is inside of you. And brokenness is that process to create tenderness and compassion. It allows God's love to flow through us as a person we can't stand.
1: Well, I'm so glad we could visit, Dave. Thanks a million. Congrats on your book. And uh, I wish you all the very best.
2: Okay. Thanks, Pat. Dave Beckwith,
1: our guest from Irvine, California. Uh, We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Dave Beckwith, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about his book, I Love the World. Uh, We go from Irvine, California, where Dave was, to Davidson, North Carolina. And we hook up with Meredith McDaniel, licensed professional counselor, owner of her private practice, Milk and Honey. And her new book is out, Want and Plenty. Meredith, welcome. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, Pat. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, fill us in on the background on this book. What does want and plenty mean, and what 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 is your mission here with the book?
3: Yes. Well, I don't know about you, but I am someone who just knows that there could be more here in life. We live in a broken world, and that can sometimes feel like a really dark place. And there's a longing, an ache that I think that we all struggle with, and we can't necessarily figure out, why we have it, but we know we have it. And so the book really speaks to um, this longing and waking up to God's provision in this land of longing so that we can figure out how to have more peace here on earth.
1: Well, there are five major topics here that you write about, so let's get started. The first one is called Deep Groans. I am made for more. What are you writing here?
3: Yes, so in this first section, I really wanted to speak to, um, again, this ache and this longing that we have here in life. There's a quote that I love from C.S. Lewis that I put at the beginning of the book that says, um, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And I think we see that um, in the story of Exodus back in the Old Testament in the Bible, um, where there was a people that was under um, oppression under the Pharaoh um, who had an enemy that was trying to, um, you know, keep them busy every single day and and made them forget who they actually were. And so at one point um, in the story, in that narrative, God gets to start hearing the groanings of his people, and it says that he has a response. And so that is what has inspired um, this section of Deep Groans and I Am Made for More.
1: Now, uh, let's get to your second topic, brick and mortar. I have hope.
3: Yes. Yes, so we do have hope, even in that nitty-gritty daily grind that I think a lot of us can relate to in our nine-to-five jobs, whatever that might look like. Um, if you're a mom, stay-at-home mom with kids, or if you are, you know, sitting in a cubicle, or if you're traveling in an airplane every single day, um, we know what it means to um, to work hard in this life. And uh, we can get swept up, though, in our um, success and in our Goals that we set, and we can start to lose our identity. And I think that in in this section of the book, I really speak into um, how we can get paralyzed and stuck in different parts of our story when we start to lose perspective, and we can only pay attention um, to the struggle and that ache that we were talking about in the previous section.
1: Uh, let's move to topic three. Mighty hand, I am seen. What does that mean?
3: Yes. So it doesn't take long for us to realize um, that uh, the Israelites, when they were coming out of um, their slavery and oppression into the desert, that they needed something beyond themselves in order to get through this journey that they were taking. And so mighty hand is referring to God's power. Um, we get to see this with Moses uh, with the burning bush. When he is standing just aglow and in awe of God's um, power in his life and everything that he's calling him to do. And he does not feel equipped and he doesn't feel qualified. And, you know, he starts to say, Hey, can I get some help here from Aaron? Um, you know, can somebody else do this? And God says, No, I'm calling you to do it, but I'm going to give you the power and I'm going to give you the strength to find the healing you need. Um, and to uh, do what you need to do that I'm I'm saying that you need to do to help lead these Israelites through this journey in this life.
1: Now, my guest is Meredith McDaniel. We're talking about her book, Wanted Plenty. Um, Topic four, tribe by tribe, I am free.
3: Yes. So, Pat, we need our people, and that is kind of the heart of this chapter. So Mm -hmm. if you've related to the ache or the longing, If you've related to the daily grind of the nine to five um, entering into a wilderness uh, or a desert like experience, then you know that you cannot do it alone. Um, Brene Brown actually says um, we don't have to do it all alone. We were never meant to um, in a quote that I put at the beginning of the section. And I really feel um, like as we watch the Israelites go into the desert, it says that that they do it tribe by tribe. And. in our own lives, if we look around side to side and we start to be vulnerable about our story, um, others start to do the same thing. And so it's not a matter of walking through this life alone anymore. Um, it's actually uh, an ability to lean into each other in our church communities, um, even into our neighbors in our neighborhood, into our coworkers, workers um, and our family members that we, we need to have other people in order to go about this process of um, digging deeper into our story in our own lives.
1: Now, there's a fifth topic. It's called Fire and Cloud. I
3: am guided. Okay, this is my favorite section. <laughs> so, okay. um this, this talks about um, kind of that pillar of um, fire and cloud that guides the Israelites through the desert. And so a lot of times, let's say when a tragedy happens in our life or we're struggling, um, we have a loss we, or diagnosis, um, we can start to really feel disoriented and feel like, hey, I actually want to go back to where I was comfortable. Israelites want to do this. They start to say to God, you know, can we just go back to where we were before? Like, it wasn't great. It was actually miserable, but it was comfortable. Like, I knew what was coming, and I like to you know, you know, I like to have a little more control. And so God kind of shows up here in, in a different form. He's present with them in their pain and in their struggle, Um, But they have to trust that he can see the aerial view and that he's going to guide them in the ways that he knows how to do it um, better than we know how to do it ourselves. Because we always think we know best, right? Um, And we forget that God is present even in our struggle and in our pain and our story.
1: Meredith McDaniel has written the book, Want and Plenty. Meredith, take us into the counseling room with you. Uh, You obviously hear a wide spectrum of people uh, feeling paralyzed in their story or their season of life. Uh, Can you expand on that?
3: Yes. So I sit with, you know, uh, people every single day from a wide variety of ages, different socioeconomic backgrounds, um, different ethnicities, um, different ages. And there is a common pattern that I continue to see with people, both in my counseling practice and just in my normal daily life with friends and family, um, that we are unraveling. Um, with anxiety and depression, and um, you know, our bodies are uh, reacting to these patterns that are persisting in our life. And I really do feel like it is this fast paced, loud, content filled culture that we have um, where we are not slowing down and paying attention to our bodies and paying attention to our minds and spirits to. Um, acknowledge that we have, you know, this ache and this longing, and we really do need to delve deeper into that. So we live on the surface. We, we don't like to think about things that are hard and messy, and we want a formula and a quick fix. And that's what a lot of people come to me for, but they have to learn really quickly um, that the way that I do counseling and therapy is a, um, a slower, deeper narrative approach. And what I mean by that is we have to look back at our life in order to pay attention to the current feelings that we have, And be still and present with those so that we can then find some some movement to look into the future um, and to reach the goals and to find the peace and contentment and joy that we are all um, so desperately searching to find.
1: Meredith, how did we get to this place of longing for more? How did we lose sight of who we were created to be?
3: Oh, I love that question. So early on in the book, in the prologue, my introduction of the book, I take us all the way back to Genesis. And so I had somebody ask me yesterday, why not just focus on the New Testament? Why are you digging back into the Old Testament? You know, a lot of Christians today, we really like to focus on the grace and the mercy and the rescue of the gospel. Um, but I think we really do have to go all the way back to the beginning, to the Old Testament, to our ancient roots. Um That does reveal our modern day struggle because, you know, it's back in the garden. It's when Adam and Eve walked in and there was abundance overflowing um, everywhere. And we're longing for that today, this land of milk and honey. That is what I call my counseling practice, milk and honey counseling, um, because I think it really speaks to that reality that we were made for more, but yet there was a fall in the garden and it's still affecting us today. We also have a condition of sin and we are broken in this broken world. And yet there is hope. Uh, because of Jesus and what he has done to rescue us from that place so that we can now have a bridge back to um, our God and our Father, um, not only just uh, in heaven beyond this earth, but actually, and this is the heart of the book, that we can taste of heaven here on earth um, through the different um, manna and provision that he gives us in very uniquely tailored ways um, to us specifically.
1: Meredith, I want you to... uh... Discuss the manna we know from the Bible and its meaning and relevance for God's people today
3: Yes, so if you don't know the story or if you're un- you know you haven't heard it in a while, basically the Israelites have just come out of slavery, they've been delivered from Moses ultimately from God, and they're wandering around in this desert and they're hungry. And they're thirsty, just like we would be. And so they start grumbling and they start saying, God, like, we need you, um, hear our cry. And he does. And he provides exactly what they need in the form of a substance that is um, dewy and flaky and appears every single day. And the translation of manna is actually, what is it? So not only, I mean, I just love God's humor, right? Like, they don't really understand what this stuff is, but they know that they need it and It's enough for them for every day. He even says, you know, don't hoard it. Don't um, stuff it away for later. I'm going to give you more tomorrow, which requires an element of trust. And then soon, and I know I would do the same thing if I'm honest, they get tired of the manna and they start to be entitled and they say, you know, we want quail. And God hears their cry and he gives them quail, but he continues to give them the manna, the daily bread, the sustenance that they need. And I think that that is still happening in our modern day today.
1: My guest is uh, Meredith McDaniel. Uh, Her book is Want and Plenty. Meredith, you make this statement. Digging up the past can be a brutal process that many of us are not eager to engage in, but it is worth it. Uh, Can you uh, explain that to us?
3: Well, I started going to counseling myself in college, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, you know, who I was, who God was, why I interacted with people the way that I did, why other people interacted with me the way that they did, um, positively and negatively, and I found out really quickly that I needed to dig deeper into my own personal narrative and story, and when I started to do that, it was messy, and it was painful, um, however, what I have experienced over the past 20 years from continuing to do that, you know, as needed um, with my therapist, she has really taught me and really the Holy Spirit in, in partnership with her has taught me um, that there is much healing to be found from the things that have happened to us when we we're young, um, the, the regrets that we might have, that God uses all of it, that he was present in all of it that he is continuously transforming and healing us. And he wants us to be restored to who we were made to be um, from the beginning when he knit us together in our mother's womb. And so there's great hope to be found there. Um, I do not like uh, for people to wallow in any sort of shame head space. Um, There's a reality of owning some of the things that we've done in life, but we need to um, be able to embrace the unconditional love that God has for us um, and move forward in life.
1: Now, I want you to uh, explain a little bit more about the Exodus story, and and what is it about the plight of Moses and the Israelites that holds meaning for us today? What do, what do you think?
3: Yes. So I love Exodus because I really think that it is a kind of smaller, um, more, uh, I don't know, a, a way that we can relate to the gospel even on a smaller level than the big, grander narrative of the gospel. So I guess it's, it's almost like the gospel within the gospel in the Bible, because we get to have all of the foreshadowing of a people, a wandering people who are enslaved to find deliverance through Moses, which is also foreshadowing for Jesus and how he does that with us. And so if you look at Exodus and you put yourself in that story, in that narrative, um, and you relate to the Israelites, you can then zoom out into the grander narrative and see that we are all, no matter our background, a common people who struggle um, with this condition of sin that we need um, delivery from and we need a rescue from through Jesus. And so I just think there's so many parallels. I think that that was intentional. I think God knew what he was doing. He knew that we were going to need a million different stories to show us and point us to him. And so he does that in a big way through the Exodus. And then he does that throughout the Old Testament and then throughout the New Testament. And he's still doing it today. You know, I have a story. You have a story, Pat. Everybody who's listening has a story. And we get to be light um, that is shed in this dark world. And God's allowing us to be a part of his, um, his gospel story. And
1: Meredith McDaniel is with us. She's in Davidson, North Carolina. We're talking about her book, Want and Plenty. We have another segment with Meredith. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Our guest is Meredith McDaniel. We're talking about her book, Want and Plenty. Uh, Meredith, you point out that the Israelites found their voice in desperation. Uh, Can you explain why does crying out matter to God? Well,
3: I love that we have a God who allows us To doubt and question. And, you know, in our culture today, we hide and we put up an illusion and a facade that we're okay and everything's okay. And we have a million ways to keep that shield in place. But we have a God who says, you know, you can let that guard down. You can show people how you're actually doing. And so I think that it's it's such a gift that we're able to do that um, in that way.
1: Why is journaling important?
3: Well, for me, as a writer, um, you know, that's how I process life. But I think for anyone who might not necessarily call themselves a writer, it really does dig into, and psychology would say this, it digs into that subconscious, um, you know, everything that's below the surface, like we were talking about before. If we live on the surface, we need to pay attention to what's underneath the surface because it's going to be coming out in a million ways. I use this analogy a lot in my counseling office that, you know, it's almost like trying to push down a buoy in the middle of the water. You know, you, you can look like a crazy person out there in the middle of a lake if you're trying to push down a buoy repetitively because it's just going to do what? It's just going to keep popping back up. So um, we do that with our emotions and we do that with our feelings. And, of course, as a counselor, that's easy for me to talk about. That's harder for some other people. Um, and, but we need to pay attention to it. We need to admit and realize that the things that are underneath the surface that will come out through journaling um, are important to pay attention to because they're going to affect our relationships around us.
1: Can you um, explain to us how you deal with journaling roadblock?
3: Yes. So I think for some people, they think, okay, I've got to write pages and pages if I'm going to sit down and journal. Well, you have to pay attention to your own personality. You know, for you, I'm thinking on the radio, um, it can be voice text. you. You know, we have that handy little feature on our phone. And if you're on the go and you're in the car and something comes to mind, it could be great to even just voice text. Or for some people, there's a journal that's actually called the one a day or a line a day journal. You could write one word or one sentence every single day. And then all of a sudden you start to have this documentation of being able to go back and look at God's hand and trace God's hand in your story um, through that. So I think what I would tell people is, You don't have to sit and write pages upon pages. You don't even have to write every day. But maybe have something by your nightstand so that if you're sitting there cycling through thoughts in the middle of the night or before you're about to fall asleep or right when you wake up, it's kind of a place for you to brain dump and get it out of you. And then you can tangibly see all the things that you have internally out on paper externally.
1: I want you, um, Meredith, to expand on this topic, music. And, and you yes. believe that the power of music to heal is real. Uh, I want you to tell us more.
3: I do. Okay. So my dad was a DJ growing up and he was on the radio in Virginia, actually. And, um, you know, he just gave me a ton of access to really good music, like a wide variety. So not necessarily Christian music. I mean, all kinds of music. There's something that happens in that space of sound and combination of sound and silence. Um, that I think that we can get swept up into this experience and almost transported out of our life for a second. And I think we all need that. We need, you know, we do that in some unhealthy ways, and that can form into addiction. If that's from video games to alcohol or drugs or pornography, I mean, you know, the whole gamut. Um, Or we can do it in healthy ways. And I think a really healthy way to do it is through music. And we can have it wherever we go. You know, it can be while we're in the shower. It can be while we're driving down the road. It can be in the quiet spaces of our homes. Um, and music for me really has been a healing, healing space since I was young. It continues to be. It's helped inform a lot of my writing. I usually listen to music before I do a big project um, to kind of get me in a good head space. And um, you know, I don't know what that might look like for um, whoever's listening, but I would definitely encourage people to try. It calms your whole body, um, I think, from the inside out. To just have um, have some music sometimes, but we need silence too.
1: Meredith, I want you to tell us three things we can do today, even right now, to become more tuned into God.
3: Yes. Well, I think the first thing is, and I just alluded to this, but we need to create some quiet and some stillness in our life. And we are not good at that. We are We are always on the move. And I think God is trying to, uh, whisper kinderly to us above all of the noise. And he's not going to force himself on us. He um, is going to be patient and he's going to be waiting for us to kind of clear the clutter from our life. And so whatever that looks like for you to carve some time, I think every single day, maybe even before your feet hit the ground and you're getting out of bed, you know, my tendency um, in the past has been to start scrolling through my phone, checking my email, you know, getting on social media, all of those different things um when i really feel like god has said hey i need you first thing in the morning i want to be the first one speaking into you in the morning and the last thing that's speaking into you in the evening and so if that's pulling out a book if it's pulling out the bible um if it's journaling if it is listening to music if it is turning off all the noise and all the screens and just creating some space to hear from him again um we need we need that time and i think we crave it we just we just, uh, it gets pushed out So that's that's really what I would start with. And then I think, secondly, we need to lean into our communities and into our people. And that requires vulnerability. So we're going to have to share what's actually going on in our life. We don't need to tell the whole world all of our stuff. But, you know, think about your close friends. Think about um, maybe you need somebody beyond friends. In addition to that, you need a counselor or spiritual director or you need to meet with your pastor um, or a small group leader at your church. We really do need to tap into the people around us because we are not, we were not meant to do this life alone. So I think those would be the two primary things. Um, I could go on and on about it all day, but those are the two that I would really stick with.
1: Meredith McDaniel uh, is our guest. Meredith, I want you to talk to us about how you balance work and family life. It's a big issue for everybody, isn't it?
3: It is. And it's not easy. I think. <laughs> It's trial and error for me right now, you know I'm in a season where my counseling practice is growing, and you know I'm just about to release this first new book, and you know there's some momentum in my life right now that I'm not used to, and my husband, you know he um is in full time ministry, we raise support, and then we've got three kids in elementary school, and so I don't think God made us to work so hard for him that um, we lose sight of our primary relationships. And I say that in my acknowledgments at the end of the book, that that is something I've really had to learn through this process of writing that's been really five years in the making for this book. Um, You know, It became my primary focus. And there's been times where I've had to sit down and have heart to heart with my husband and him have heart to heart with me, like, hey, I need you to help step in in this way more in the family right now. And I know this is shifting our roles a little bit, but God's calling me to do this. And, hey, I know this event's really important to you, so I'm going to let some stuff go on the book right now so I can be really present with you for this. And, hey, this kid's struggling with some anxiety, and we don't really know why, and we're having to ride that wave right now with him, and he needs some extra support and love. And, you know, it's it's conversation and communication and um, really trying to carve some time. We've had to get creative and we have a date night on Wednesday morning. <laughs> you know, our schedules are are not a nine to five. We have some late nights with, with high school ministry, with Young Life. And so, you know, our time is going to be Wednesday mornings and we have to guard that with all that we can on our schedule so that we are getting some overlap and some connection time. Um, and so, yeah, I think communication is a big part of the balance with life and family, but it's also just having open hands. Like God, What do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to focus on? Where do you want me to put my efforts and my energy? Um, And then I have to get filled back, back up by him in order to love out of that overflow.
1: Meredith, last question. How can we reframe the negative, what's wrong with me, into something positive and whole?
3: Well, I'm going to point you to another book. So um, I quote Kurt Thompson by his book, The Soul of Shame. If you want to put this in the show notes, um, I highly recommend it. It is a book that helps you to not get stuck, which you could do. Like as you're reading my book. You could start to think, oh my gosh, like if I look back at my story, I'm remembering stuff I did in high school and I don't want to think about that. And man, I'm such a bad person. And my sin is so great and that is not where I want people to end up. And so I I do feel like I guide people out of that and offer the hope and the healing in my book. But if you want to dig deeper into that in your life um, in a way that does not get you stuck in shame, um, the soul of shame by Kurt Thompson is a great resource. He has a great website as well. Um, And I think that 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 can be a really great place for people to go.
1: My guest has been Meredith McDaniel. Meredith, many, many thanks. Good job.
3: Thanks for having
1: me. The name of the book, Want and Plenty. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Dave Beckwith was with us in that first segment, then Meredith McDaniel In the second segment, I want to take a minute to talk baseball with you. We're trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and we need your help. Uh, Go up to the website, OrlandoDreamers.com, OrlandoDreamers.com, and just uh, respond to those couple of questions. One of them is, at some point, uh, would you be interested in a season ticket package if we're successful in luring a Major League Baseball team here. Uh, We need the community to really jump in and and get behind this, and I think we can pull it off and become a Major League Baseball city. OrlandoDreamers.com. You've been listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be back next weekend. Have a great week ahead.